Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Good evening. Welcome to Critical Witness. Uh, Thank you for joining us, whether it's live or whether it's uh, on demand or even on our podcast in a few days' time. Thank you for taking the time to listen and watch. Uh, If you do end up joining us live, uh, do feel free to put questions in the comments as we go through the conversation. Um, It's just myself and our guest tonight. Unfortunately, uh, Dan is unable to join us and... um, for, for a variety of reasons, but he will hopefully be with us next week when we have our, our next guest. But without taking all the time uh, tonight, I'm going to introduce Anne, who's with us. Here we go. Uh, hi, Anne. Welcome. Hi, Great Phil. Thanks very much for um, so before we get into the conversation, which I haven't even introduced yet as a topic, uh, great just to hear your story and then we'll, we'll kind of bring out the topic. The, the title on YouTube and Facebook can, can be seen. So we're going to be talking about Christianity and, and sexuality, but it'd be really good to hear your story, um, how you became a Christian and um, what, what you do. Really, who who you are? The the standard questions: Who are you, and what do you do, and and how did you become a Christian? Okay, well, uh, I don't know how um, how complete you want the story to be. I'll try and be as quick as possible. Um, so I'm Anne. I was um, born and brought up in Manchester, um, and I'm now based in Newcastle. So I've been sort of moving north during my life. Um, I work part-time for my church and I also work part-time for an organisation called Living Out, which I think we'll probably talk about a bit more um, shortly. Um, I was brought up in a family that was kind of church going, so I was taken along to church when I was younger and I kind of heard things about Jesus and the Bible and that kind of thing, but I, I didn't really understand what it meant to be a Christian, so I thought it was all about you know um, being good and if you were good enough you might make it into heaven. Um, but I think I was quite, a, um, in, in many ways, quite a naughty child. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I'm not, um, I don't think I'm actually going to make it into heaven. Um, and mm. I also very early on knew that I was same-sex attracted as well. And I would have probably mm. described different words then. So um, I would have said that I was gay from, mm-hmm. you know, from when I was aware of those types of feelings at all. So that was something that I wrestled with a lot uh, when I was a teenager um, and, um, yeah, so I sort of fast forward to university and that was a real kind of um, changing point for me because I thought I'll go off to London um, I can sort of explore my identity. I can uh, find out who I am and, and kind of explore these feelings a bit more. Um, and I, I chose to study philosophy because I thought, um, you know, that'll give me the meaning hmm. of life. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so I wore a black polo neck and, you know, did a lot of stroking my chin. And um, it was quite funny because um, in my first year, I'd only been there a, a few months. Um, and there was a girl there in my halls that went along to church. Um, and so I started going along to church with her. Um, and 
this church, the, the people there were so different from what I was used to. And mm. there was just something about them that I thought they've got something genuine here. Um, I was really interested in um, the, the fact that what they said and the way they lived their lives seemed to really match up. And I remember there was a guy there who um, he gave a little talk and he said that he was he'd been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He knew he didn't have very long to live, but he talked with such hope and such joy um, mm. about his confidence in Christ and he knew that he was going to be reunited with Christ um, in the new creation. And I thought, you know, I, you know, if this guy's right, then I want mm. some of what he's got. Um, anyway, I carried on on going to church and I was also going to the um, lesbian and gay society as it was then. Um, so these sort of two worlds were going on at the same time. Um, and I, I got to a point where kind of the the, the experiments with sexuality and the drinking and everything kind of hadn't massively delivered on all my expectations. And um, this stuff that had been said at church was resonating with me. And so one evening I'd, I'd been out in Soho um got back at, you know, early hours of the morning and I thought I'll just read the Bible before I go to bed. So um, <laughs> I opened it to Romans 8, which is a passage that had been talked about at church. And as I started to read it, it, it just dropped into place it talked about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death I mean it's quite a dense bit of theology that um, is, yeah it is isn't it it's not accessible bits but it was the bit that um where it all came alive for me and I realized you know I'd heard about Jesus dying on the cross and rising again but that was the moment where I thought oh, okay this is personal he did this for me it was real and I need to respond. So I can't even remember what I prayed, to be honest. I mean, it's 26 years ago now, but I, I prayed something and then I went to bed. And the next day I got my friend and I said, look, we've got to join the Christian Union and, you know, get sort of throw ourselves into all that. Um, so I think she was a bit taken aback. But anyway, wow. we did. And uh, yeah, so that was the that was the real turning point for me. But obviously there was a lot to work through. Um you know, I loved reading the Bible. I loved hearing talks um, with people explaining God's word to me. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, learning how to pray. There were some definite cultural shocks uh, when I, you know, turned up to the Christian Union, um, like with a with a bottle of wine and a cigarette and stuff. And people were just like, uh, "Tell you what, why don't you do that later?" <laughs> so, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but people were lovely, and I was really attracted by, you know, the 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 integrity of these people and the genuineness of their faith. So mm. I suppose that's how it all started. Um, and it's been an adventure ever since, to be honest. Um, so I've now found myself in Newcastle, yeah, working part-time for the church, part-time for a Christian charity, and studying for a um, a master's in contemporary missiology, which is just wow. a fancy way of saying mission, really. Mission, Telling yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So have you, have you used your philosophy that much? That you studied. You know, I mean, people did warn me that it's not a very useful degree. That <laughs> um, it, it has, it has been more useful than I thought. So, um, in, in fact, particularly now, um, in the last mm. few years, when you know I've been trying to really interact with the culture, especially look at what the culture says around sexuality and how that's all come come to be. And actually, you know, you can see. You can see the roots of where we are now in enlightenment thinking and some of the, the, the stuff that the rationalist philosophers um, were saying. So, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum, does it? And I think understanding mm. philosophically 
um, what's happened in, few, in previous generations and how ideas and ideologies have developed. I think that's been really helpful. Um, and I hope it sort of taught me just how, how to read critically, how to analyse arguments and that sort of thing, which, again, is quite helpful. So we're just talking about uh, philosophy and they're starting to think about how, how do we think about um, Christianity and, and sexuality? Just, just on that front that you sort of entered church as a non-Christian, would you have called yourself an atheist at the time? Or um, No, I think I probably always thought there was a God, but I certainly didn't. I would have probably called myself agnostic in that I just didn't know. Um, and I was open to the possibility of there being a God, but I also wasn't at all convinced there was enough evidence. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, just just on a sort of pastoral note, when, when you went into this group of Christians, were you aware of a Christian sexual ethic? Was was that anything in your mind? Or was it just these, these are nice people, I'll just go along? Mm. Um, was it was that something in the background that you you knew there was something Christians thought about sex, but you weren't quite sure what it was or yeah probably i mean it, we, we took it quite a while ago so it was uh it was 1996 mm. so um i guess then the kind of if you heard anything about sexuality in the, in the church it would have been the sort of conservative sexual ethic but mm. i think i mean in in the church that i've been going to as a, as a youngster it wasn't an evangelical church so there wasn't really any sort of teaching around that at all but i just mm. i guess i had this sort of sense of God probably would disapprove, you know, <laughs> but I, I mean, that's as far as I'd got. It wasn't theologically right. formed at all. Um, yeah. uh, but actually, interestingly, when I started going to this church before I became a Christian, um, it's a, a big studenty church in London and they had a kind of student talk after each service in the evening. And on my sort of second or third time there, there was a guy from True Freedom Trust who had come from a gay background um, and he'd become a Christian and he was um, convinced about the sort of traditional biblical sexual ethic and he shared his story and it was just amazing because it's the first time that I'd heard anyone sort of gay talk in church and you know he you know, he had an amazing faith he knew that God loved him um, and I I found that really profound and um, really encouraging because I thought well hang on if that's his experience that could be my experience too you know God loves him God must love me too there must be a place mm -hmm. for me in Christianity so that was huge. So, how how long has True Freedom Trust been going for then? I knew you'd ask me for dates. I'm not. <laughs> so no, no that's fine. I was just wondering if you knew. That, <laughs> longer than me. Um, 1970s. Um, I think oh, right. it might have been the year after I was born, actually. So, uh, right. yeah. Wow. Okay. I, did, I didn't realise it was that that old as a, ch a charity. I thought. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. It was, no, it's been. Uh, it's been going for quite. I, I ought to know the exact date, really, but. Uh, no, no, it's fine. I don't know the exact date. I don't know the exact date of my organisation. I know it's thirty-ish, forty-ish years old, or maybe even older. But, um, anyway, so that I mean, that's by by the by. So it would be interesting just to get on that point right at the beginning. Then, um, what what is your view on the Christian sexual ethic? I mean, that that mm. phrase is foreign to to many people. Mm. Um, what what is your view on that uh so it'd be great just to have a couple minutes of, of and i'm happy to push back and and sort of explain mm. where i'm at on that as well so it's not just you doing the talking but um it'd be and then we can kind of see what the opposing views 
are, but also to hear why you've decided that's mm. what, what the Bible says, because there's a lot of conflict going on at the moment in yeah, Christian circles, <laughs> not not just with society, but a lot of Christians are conflicted about this as well. So um, what's your view on the Christian sexual ethic? Let's let's start there. Yeah. I, think, I mean, it might be helpful to take it sort of chronologically, so sort of how it developed for me. So yeah, that'd be good. Um, I first became a Christian and I guess my sort of a bit like we were just saying my 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 background view of Christianity and sex was a bit like Bible says no you know <laughs> like sex is just something we don't talk about and it's something we hopefully don't do either um so and I think sometimes you know Christians have been heard to be quite negative about sexuality in general um and I, I suppose um obviously coming from a gay background I wanted to know what the bible said specifically about homosexuality um and of course it actually doesn't say an awful lot about it specifically so there's the five sort of clobber passages if you want um um in Genesis and uh, Leviticus and there's the Romans 1 uh, it's 1 Corinthians 6 and there's the passage in 1 Timothy um and that's about it so I, I sort of camped out around those and did a bit of understanding mm. about the, the sort of context and that kind of thing and I mean I think you know, initially I thought, well, you know, every mention of homosexuality in the Bible is is a, a negative. You know, it's that some it's something that we shouldn't practice, um, which is of course different from having the attractions. Um, maybe we'll come on to that in a bit. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, and as I've sort of gone on as a Christian, I've I've come across various people who've tried to explain those specific passages away um, in, and I'm sure you know those arguments will be familiar to you but I think uh, what's convincing to me is not just reading those passages in isolation but actually looking at the whole sweep of the bible um, mm -hmm. so um, what's really striking is that it starts and ends with a marriage um, so we've got in Genesis, we've got um, the, the first people that God created and his creation design for them was male and female in a sexual union in marriage. And then right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, we've got the culmination of the whole kind of salvation history of God and his people. And we've got Jesus meeting the church, his bride, who are all dressed in white, were purified. And that's the wedding day that we're kind of all heading to. And once I started seeing that big picture, it helped me to make sense of all the smaller references to homosexuality, to sexual immorality and adultery and fornication and all these things. Um, so I guess I started to see, I started to ask different questions. I started to ask, yeah. what is sexuality for? What is the purpose of sex? And if we get that right, then we start to make sense of all these other, all the teachings around other kind of expressions of sexuality. So I think for a long time, I just thought, well, it seems really unfair that God yeah. is saying, you know, don't, don't have gay relationships. That just seemed arbitrary. It seemed unfair. I, I thought, how is two adults in a consenting sexual relationship, how's that doing anyone any harm? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was when I understood it in the context of, well, what's the point of sex? It's actually, it's not just about two people that fancy each other getting together, but it's an, it's an analogy for the relationship between God and his people, which is profound, you know? Mm -hmm. And when we start to mess with that, we, we start to unravel an awful lot of, of theology. We actually, we start to, we start to unravel the story, the story of God and the good news of the gospel. Um, so I think that's why that's why I'm convinced. 
Um, the Sermon on the Mount is, an, is another place that I camp out quite a lot because, you know, essentially, you know, Matthew 5 to 7 is, is Jesus's blueprint for what Christian living looks like. And of course, he's building on the, the Ten Commandments that were given to the people of Israel in Exodus. But what I find really fascinating about that is that, you know, we sort of sometimes think lovey-dovey hippie Jesus. But actually, mm-hmm. what he does is he says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, don't even look at a woman lustfully, you know. So it's not just about restraining yourself from the physical act. It's mm. about guarding your heart um, and not even going there in your head, you know. So we think of Jesus sort of softening things and, you know, um, kind of letting us off because he loves us. But actually, he loves us enough to want us to live in the way that God's designed, uh, which I find amazing, um, mm. challenging, though, challenging for all of us. Hugely challenging, yeah. That especially that, I mean, that last element is something that often, well, should get anyone <laughs> suddenly yeah. rethink, rethinking their their <laughs> understanding of sex in, in in scripture. Well, to be honest, I mean, nobody can read Sermon on the Mount and and you know think of themselves better than anyone else because we're all mm-hmm. caught in that. Um, and it, yeah. and yet, I think you're exactly right. Even on the sexual morality thing, there is nobody who's sexually pure apart from Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so you might be a straight person in a marriage to another christian but the bad news for you is you're, you're sexually impure you know <laughs> so i think that's yep. that's one of the things that i found really helpful actually that that gay people aren't in a separate category we're not like worse than anybody else um mm-hmm. everybody is uh you know struggles in the area of sexuality um so it's it's a very level playing field i think yeah yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I I really think that that's an underrated response to most apologetic issues is the overview of scripture, and it's something that I think uh, resources like the Bible Project do well. Oh, I love it. it yeah, it is. <laughs> so much good <laughs> stuff coming from there in grounding our theology in Genesis and Revelation, and finding that thread all the way through. It just makes you start to love the Bible a lot more mm. and understand it better because you get into some really heavy passages that people will fight over and then yeah that question of what what is this really for mm. and and how is it glorifying god how is it glorifying or, or bringing up human humans to be partners with with god and in, in how we go about bringing the kingdom on earth so it's mm. there's so there's so many themes in there that are that are beautiful but require a, a sacrificial mindset and and humility um which we yeah we might talk a little bit more about in, in terms of what we mean by sacrifice and, and things like that yeah. so maybe we can dig in a little bit more then so you, you mentioned the, the purpose of of sex and what that's for and i guess many people wrestle with this idea well and and i know that there's um is it Jackie Perry's book? I think there's Jackie this, Hill Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Where she, she sort of touches on this idea that, and I think this is where people really struggle. Those who, who want to affirm everything about same sex relationships really struggle with this idea that to uh, have same sex relationship and, and act on that is somehow disordered or unideal. Uh, I, I know that Christians have used that language of mm. disordered or, it's not part of God's ideal for creation. What would be your response to that? How do you, how do you handle that kind of difficulty? How, how dare you mm. say that my love is disordered? Mm. Um, 
Well, I think the first thing I'd want to do is separate love and sex because they're very mm -hmm. different things. Um, so I often hear people saying, oh, but, you know, it's not fair that I'm not allowed to love who I want to love. But, I mean, <laughs> we are allowed to love everybody. In fact, the Bible tells us that we have to love people, even people we don't like. So <laughs> let's just be clear that the Bible is absolutely 100% for love. Um, the, the difficulty is when kind of love and sex are conflated. So the Bible isn't in favour of having sex with whoever you want. And I think most people mm. um, would recognise that sex has to have boundaries around it. Most people in our culture would would agree with that you know yeah. where it comes to children or vulnerable people or family members you know there are people that um that there are boundaries um in which it's healthy to keep sex so i suppose the question then is where do those boundaries lie hmm. and i think as a christian i need to look to scripture and i need to look to the person who made sexuality that's god himself so he ne he has made me he's he's made me as a sexual being as a woman and he knows um, the best way for me to live. And um, I think I think it's interesting because people often um, people often don't really know what to do with sexuality when it comes to single people. They think that the only mm -hmm. kind of the only point in having a sexuality is to use it to have sex with people. But actually, I think sexuality is 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 much kind of more profound than that. I think it's it's a strong you know, feeling of desire and acknowledgement of beauty, and actually. It's it's a really powerful feeling that can can deepen our intimacy with Christ actually if we let it. Mm. Um, so I think that just you know I'm a single person I'm you know committed to celibacy but that doesn't mean I've switched my sexuality off. Um, mm. It means I can actually I can demonstrate that Christ is sufficient for me as a single person and that I'm not missing out on anything because I think that's that's the other thing that. Um, I think sometimes we've we've sort of gone down a bit of a um, a bit of a uh, sort of meandering path because we've mm. we've t kind of adopted that cultural narrative that that sex is ultimate that it's the be all and end all that it's the mm -hmm. place that we get intimacy it's the place that we get value somehow if we're not having sex or we don't have access to have sex with the people that we want to then we're not fulfilled as human beings or you know we're somehow not properly an adult or, or whatever but i mean i think that the bible has quite a strong pushback on that as well i mean look at jesus mm -hmm. look at the apostle paul you know the, there are plenty mm -hmm. of single people in the bible who you you just can't say are unfulfilled um so i think it really helps to just sort of take sex take sex off a pedestal um and actually uh value Yes, yeah, sexy side marriage is a wonderful thing, but also, you know, celibate singleness lived in community with your church family is also a wonderful thing as well. Yeah. Um, God, you know, God's a wonderful father. He doesn't deprive us of anything that's good for us. Um, and again, I think it comes back to that thinking of God's rules as, as arbitrary, uh, which for a long time, you know, I struggled with that. I thought, well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to try and be obedient, but I don't see why, to be quite honest. Um <laughs> But actually, you know, God only wants to give us good things and he doesn't deprive us of anything that's good. You know, there's that wonderful passage, isn't there, that, you know, if if your father, if your son asked you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a snake? Well, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> and and that's the same with God, isn't it? You know, that he doesn't stop us having things that are good for us. But, um, you know, he is he is so much 
he's so far superior to us. He is the creator of the known universe and we're not, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel like, who am I to say, I know better than you, God. I know what I want, so I'm just gonna do my own thing, you know. It's a huge, a huge bit of that. I just, just wrote that down, I'm going to obey even if I don't know why. And I think that's a part of the Christian life it, that we are called to obey and called to obedience. And I, I, it's part of discipleship, it's part of humility, mm. it's the idea of laying our lives down for Christ. And and I, I guess that's some of the pushback from people I know that are affirming in this uh, is that, is, is this really something that God is calling us to lay down? Is it part mm. of that aspect? Mm. And I think that's the real pushback is, well, I'm okay with submitting myself to Christ and laying my desires down. Uh, but why that <laughs> when, when it's when it's in a, a, a loving marriage uh, yeah. and that's where the definition of marriage starts to to be shifted and uh, I guess again looking at Genesis how Jesus points back to Genesis around that marriage is really important and probably mm. something that I haven't seen a, a a good exegetical argument for around why Jesus points back to that and re-emphasizes mm. that and um and I've read a couple books on it. Uh, Matthew Vine's book was was one that came out when I was at uni, and probably the one that I read alongside Sam Albury's book uh, is God right. Anti Gay. And I found those two quite interesting to read side by yeah. side, um, partly because they both started off in a really interesting way about identity, mm. and I found it fascinating that Matthew would identify straight away as I'm gay and Christian. Sam Albury said, "I'm Christian." but I struggle with same-sex same uh, attraction. And I, I found that quite a powerful starting point in itself, an argument in itself, is how you identify your relationship to Christ, where that fits. Mm. Um, and I would hope that I identify myself as Christian and married, <laughs> but <laughs> the danger is I don't. Uh, mm. I think the, the danger is as a married Christian that I um, – I promote being married as the complete package of a, of a mm. Christian. You, you ask the single bloke, when are you thinking of him? <laughs> are you looking for a girlfriend? When you think, and, and that kind of culture in itself. So I think just touching on the point that you were saying that we have this, we don't know how to treat people who are single, mm. s straight and celibate. We, we don't do that very well. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably too broad, but there's a lot of, church communities at least in the teaching sense that we inadvertently idolize the the married the nuclear family uh to the detriment of all these other ways mm. that the community the the family of god should really um bring people in no matter their sexuality mm. but they find complete and whole the whole unit within the church family. Yeah. So um, there's there's a, so many themes of that. I, again, just partly processing that out loud because of um, <laughs> been listening to Bible Projects podcast on family, oh, of right. course. <laughs> so, so it's all kind of it's all kind of in there. Um, I think it's interesting what you said. I mean, I think identity is a really key thing. Um, and actually, it, uh, you were talking earlier about kind of the, the cost of giving things up and, and saying, you know, can I really give this up? But actually, it's 
I mean, that's a question that all of us as Christians should be asking all the time. Am I prepared? To, yeah. How much does God ask us to give up? Well, it's really clear. Everything. <laughs> you know? um, I mean, that's why the rich man went away sad, isn't it? Because, you know, Jesus said, you've got to leave that if you want to follow me. You've got to leave the things that, you know, you've been finding your identity in and your security in. Um, and so I often, yeah, I do a little thought experiment sometimes because there are, you know, same-sex attraction isn't the only thing that I struggle with. There's loads of other things that... Yeah. You know, I, I idolize things and I, you know, uh, put things in God's place. And I, I I guess if that's happening, I find it really helpful to think, um, you know, am I prepared to sacrifice this for Jesus? So I guess my my sort of challenge to people who um, who are saying, you know, I don't I just don't know if I can give up a same sex relationship for God is, you know, even if you're not sure theologically, would you be prepared to do that if he asked you to? You know, um, do you do you love him enough that you know you're sort of so desperate to get to him, like you know the uh, friends who lowered the paralysed man through the roof that you'll do anything to get to him? You know, rip the roof off, um, you know, lay down whatever treasures that you've you've got stored up. Um, I think the thing that really helps me with this is um, our church has got quite a lot of asylum seekers from Iran. And I just find they help me to put my own life into perspective. You know, if I think oh, it's really tough not being able to have sex again, you know, <laughs> my <laughs> friends have left their country, their home, their jobs, their language, everything that they know, all their possessions. And they've moved to a country where they are routinely treated appallingly, mm. um, where they have no money, no rights, no nothing. But I, I've not seen faith like it, to be honest. You know, they've given all that up for Jesus um and i think when i see that I, I feel quite humbled and i think do you know what i i can manage not to have sex <laughs> i um i just have so you know and i have so many amazing friends female close female friends i have intimate relationships in lots of different ways that aren't sexual within mm. church community and you know I, i'm just i'm not missing out so mm. it turns out god was right you know <laughs> you just sometimes got to trust him <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. Uh, yeah, recognizing how the broader church family highlights things in us as well mm -hmm. that we idolize. I think that's why I love working with, across cultures as well. Mm -hmm. Is it continually brings out things? Oh, I I do idolize that in my culture. I've made that part of the gospel inadvertently, or that that way of mm -hmm. the way that we do church, or or whatever it is. You suddenly start going, well, actually, I've I've always read this in the Western light, not realizing it, and I'm saying the Western is always wrong, but it's just yeah. that sometimes it brings out more, more from the text that we haven't quite glimpsed. And yeah, especially when referencing things like shame and honor, although our cultures definitely getting the idea of that more now. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, loads, loads of that, uh, just really helpful to, to see others and, and their different struggles and how we mm. can support them and they can support us in that. Um, so there's a few questions in the chat. I'll get to them yeah. in a moment, but it'd be just really interesting just to kind of have a couple of these main objections to to the Christian ethic. Mm. It'd be good to hear your your view on. So I guess so the, the going back to the purpose question as well. Why does why does it matter <laughs> what we do with our bodies? Why why is um, maybe just digging into a little bit of that? What is the purpose um, of it? of sex of of relationships in general 
um and why does what we do with our bodies matter i can't I kind mm. of i've grouped them all feel free to separate them into individual questions mm. um which do you want to tackle first <laughs> um I, i'll go for the why does it matter what we do with our bodies um i think again sort of if you delve back into church history there have been periods where uh there's been very little sort of focus on the physical body in fact there's been a bit of a distaste for the body quite frankly and it's been all about the, the health of our souls um but it's it's very clear that the bible has a positive view of our bodies we are embodied creatures and that matters um and again you know jesus came down to inhabit a, a human body and he knows what it's like to you know get tired get hungry to have a body that you know gets injured and doesn't work very well sometimes so it seems that being in a body is something that God designed for us um, and is, is integral to our faith and the, the way that we live. So I guess um, we're also made in God's image. And obviously, um, you know, God doesn't look like us necessarily sort of physically, although obviously Jesus, Jesus did yeah. come for a period of time in a body. But I think... We are supposed to reflect what God's like in our character. We're supposed to reflect what he's like in in the way that we live holy lives. So I think, um, and obviously, there are all sorts of things that we could do with our bodies. There are places we could take our bodies to that aren't holy, that don't reflect the character of God. Um, I think I find it I find it really helpful to think about the Holy Spirit um, because, you know, when we when we're Christians, we have the Spirit of Jesus in us. Um, so in a sense, everywhere I go, Jesus goes with me. And so that really helps me to think, well, I, I'm going to think twice about where I'm taking the son of God, you know, and what I'm doing with him. Um, and yeah, I think it's really helpful to to remember that God is ever present with us. So mm. um, we're his representatives on earth. People look at us and they're supposed to be able to see what what God's like. Um, so if we're doing something really dishonouring to him with our bodies, whether that's, you know, it might be um, it might be sort of eating um, mm -hmm. too much or, you know, it might be um, I don't know. It might be just not taking care of our bodies, not doing exercise and that kind of thing. Um, or it might be something sexual, with, you know, a relationship that that isn't the way God would have us live. Um, so it's all sorts of different, you know, it's. Again, it's very easy to, to major just on sex, but actually, you know, God has a very holistic view of how we live um, mm. and we're supposed to honour him in everything. Um, looking at, you know, actually Leviticus is an interesting read because it's all about holiness and it touches every area of life. So the message there is be holy as God is holy in everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, so I guess that's, that's, my, that's my thinking around... That's why it matters what we do with our bodies. And of course, yep. you know, there's lots of teaching in the Bible about specific, uh, you know, specific sort of do's and don'ts when it comes to um, things that things that we do. In our, we're embodied <laughs> creatures, you know. <laughs> I mean, yep. uh, it, it matters what we think. It matters what uh, we dwell on internally, but it also certainly matters what we do externally as well. That's, yeah, that's really helpful. And and again, just the the importance of the bodies throughout genesis to revelation and even in new creation and resurrection yeah, yeah. We've, we're gonna have better ones to be honest. absolutely yeah don't don't stumble <laughs> over these sorts of issues uh, uh just really getting into the 
that mindset of what we hope for what is our hope as christians are we hopeful for this ethereal realm or is it for new creation embodied where what we see now in our relationships and in our community the best and even better will be in in resurrection and yeah, hopefully that's that- it. I mean, I, still I, hoping me. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, when I first became a Christian, I was sort of um, a little bit reluctant to think about heaven because I thought it sounds like it might be a bit boring. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it turns out that my view of heaven had been very coloured by all sorts of cultural things that I've been exposed oh, yeah. to that, that aren't biblical at all. And when I started to to read the Bible and particularly Revelation, I thought this is brilliant. You know, this is the sure and certain hope that we've been called for. And um, it's a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not floating around on clouds with harps and all this business. Uh, I, I've no idea where that came from, but. Um, you know, it's it, it will be like this world, but without um, the evil, without the suffering, um, it'll just be amazing. You know, we'll get to enjoy all sorts of things that we enjoy now, but without them being tainted by sin and, and death and rebellion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a, a good comment here just to point it to, to youth. There's uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, um, which is, again about about the body relating food for the stomach and the stomach for food and god will destroy them both um the body however is not meant for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord is for the body and uh, it goes on and i I flee from sexual immorality this 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 is is quite strong language i'm pointing as you do to uh, matthew 5 to 7 jesus talking about lust is is that thing that starts off us off on a road that we don't want to go down. And I think with that in mind, it's interesting the link to food that you, you made, but also that the Bible makes. How how often do we prioritize fasting in, mm. in relation? So oftentimes the sexual ethic, partly because of culture, becomes this big thing we must talk about. Yeah. Um, but we don't necessarily talk about fasting. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of assumed that when you fast rather than if and mm. when, when you decide that it might be a good practice and i'm terrible at fasting mm. but it's something that we're encouraged to do as christians and to to use our, our body well but to also mm. recognize that it's god who sustains it not how much i eat yeah um, which is again countercultural and yeah. and uh absolutely well i was surprised uh, when i became a christian at how many basically all christian events seem to revolve around food and a lot of yeah. it and i yeah. mean there is something there is something very biblical about eating together and and breaking bread together but i sort of i imagine the very simple meals that jesus would have had mm. and i see the array of cakes that we often put on <laughs> it's so true yeah yeah got out of balance here hasn't it yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and the hope for the banquet. What does that look like? What do we imagine when we have the Messianic banquet? There, there will be good food, the best of oh, wines, but yeah. uh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to we're going to enjoy food in the right way with the yeah, right exactly. balance and and, exactly. and and all that sort of thing as well. Um, so again, I've just seen a few questions. I've got a couple of questions lined up that we've chatted through before, but it'd be just good to have a couple of questions from our live chat. Um, so. Uh, I've got to go scroll up. There's, you guys are quite chatty this evening, so thanks for that. I'll just try and find the, the first one. Um, so here we go. How do you walk with ex-Christians who hold a dislike at best and a hate at worst towards uh, the orthodox Christian position? So orthodox with a little, I think that's meant to be a little O, maybe not, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll treat it as a little O. 
the the traditional Christian position on Christian ethics. How how do you relate to uh, your non Christian friends on this? Mm. Yeah, I mean, relating to non Christians is is easier, I think, for me um, than, than people who have perhaps been where I am but have sort of changed their minds so um I mean I, I love doing mission I love talking to non-Christians about my faith and 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 I actually have some really good conversations with them because I think the Christian you know the, the sort of orthodox Christian view is so weird um compared to what people think in society it actually uh it provokes a lot of questions um and a lot of intrigue and I think the fact that I'm same-sex attracted myself that I you know have been in relationships but I've chosen to be single and it gives me a platform to be able to talk about why that's the case. And it, it just enables me to talk about my faith, why I follow Jesus, why I think he's worth following. Um, mm. So actually, I, I love all that. I think what I find harder is, um, yeah, I guess, we, you know, there have been really good Christian friends who I've been really close to and we've, you know, been sort of discipling each other and praying together and everything. And then they've sort of shifted in their view of of sexuality and I, I found that personally quite painful um, and I know mm. they haven't done that to hurt me or anything like that it's just it's hard then I kind of feel like our discipleship has then gone in slightly different directions and it's mm. you know it, it's hard it's hard to have the same level of fellowship with somebody who basically thinks you should just jack it in and get a girlfriend you know yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. um yeah, so so it is it is difficult, and I do understand. Um, I mean, I, I try to find common ground, so I do understand why people change their view on sexuality. Often, it's for for good reasons because they care about yeah. people. Um, they've seen some really awful things happen. Um, you know, there has been a lot of homophobia in the church, Absolutely. and they yeah. and they rightly regret that, and are, you know, are ashamed of it. Um, and they want LGBT people to be welcome in the church and they want LGBT people out there to hear the gospel. And all that's brilliant. And I want that, too. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I, I guess I guess that I think that in order to, you know, include people and love people, it doesn't mean that we need to say that this particular sexual behavior is is OK. So, you know, um, my own experience has been, you know, I've been in various different um conservative evangelical churches during my 26 years of being a christian and i've always felt welcomed and you know i've um been involved at the heart of church life you know preaching and in worship group and all this sort of thing which is great there mm -hmm. have been times where people have misunderstood stuff or said something insensitive or whatever which is going to happen that's why we have to have grace for each other isn't it mm. but um by and large, I found Christians to be, you know, really supportive, really caring, and wanting to know what they can do to support me and to love me and that kind of thing. Um, so, so I very much resonate with that. I think it's, you know, it's a wonderful intention. It just saddens me when, when that intention for people actually, um, actually leads to them saying, "Yeah, actually, gay relationships are fine." Because if somebody mm. had said that to me when I was in a younger and much more vulnerable place in my Christian life, I think that would have seriously knocked me. And it may even have, you know, I, I was in a relationship at one point and it may have, you know, meant I would have stayed in that relationship. And, you know, I don't mm. think that was the right thing. So, you know, I was grateful for those friends who had the courage to um, to challenge me and to speak the truth in love. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean... There's lots that we can agree on, um, you know, my affirming friends and I. But, yeah, there's a certain sadness as well, I guess, when, when people sort of 
drift from i guess it's not just a point of theology for me it's it's mm. it's my whole life story so it's quite yeah, hard yeah, yeah. Uh, and i guess it's particularly difficult when you know straight people who haven't grown up gay and haven't been dealing with it for 44 years you know tell me that i'm you know homophobic or you know, <laughs> it's a little bit ironic yeah it's <laughs> but, oh uh, goodness yeah <laughs> i mean it has, has that, happened but, that has happened wow yeah but i just again i just i try to be gracious because you know they're trying they're doing what they think is best and they care about gay people and you know mm -hmm. i just try to use my story to say actually there's there's another there's another story that we can tell it's yeah. you know the narrative isn't just if you're on the side of gay people you have to say gay relationships are okay actually there's lots of people like me who believe a traditional sexual ethic who are thriving and who you know are enjoying their Christian life and, and who are not kind of sobbing in a corner somewhere. So, you know, it's it would be good if our voices got heard as well. Sorry. Um, you my, right, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a bit of a funny one. My, um, <laughs> my, my headphones sometimes plug into my wife's phone. <laughs> it just started, started ringing. <laughs> so I, I was like, I, this is really confusing. Um, so yeah, the problems of Bluetooth. <laughs> really yeah. Threw me off. You're too uh, high I'm... tech. Just go for a wire. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So I totally missed like the last two, two seconds, like 20 seconds of what you said so oh, i have no worry. idea what you said hopefully it was good i'm sure it was <laughs>
and and he goes into this as well so i'd highly recommend that from a judeo christian perspective there's a lot of good stuff in there but he talks about how um cbt therapy count goes completely opposite to what woke culture is trying to do what culture is trying to mind read ascribe uh individual actions and motivations to people because they're offended whereas uh grace and uh the whole community spirit within the Bible is to ha have grace for people when they yeah. when they're offended, go in love to them, speak truth in love, and tell them this is what you've said, this is what has made me feel, but mm. I still want to have unity. Mm. Whereas microaggressions completely undermine that. So uh, yeah, I mean, what would be, how would you teach that? Would you go towards that route? Would you have a different mm. way of tackling that? I don't think I'm young enough or cool enough to know. <laughs> to know <laughs> but um, I mean, it's interesting that whole being offended on behalf of somebody else. I remember being in a church and um, I, as far as I know, I think I was the only same sex attracted person in the church. I was certainly the only person who was kind of open about it. Um, and one of my friends actually left that church because she thought it was sort of homophobic and it didn't support people like me but she hadn't at any point asked me what I thought you know and I was no. actually I thought I thought they were doing a really good job and occasionally they said things that were a bit insensitive but you know I thought the people were great I thought they were really loving and you know doing their best but you know she on my behalf got really offended so that yeah that's it's odd isn't it I think um mm. yeah as a Christian family um one of the, one of the things i love about churches is that they're full of such different people um i mean our church as i've said has got it's got a lot of asylum seekers we're very privileged to have a number of families from different countries in africa uh we've got somebody from china we've got some geordie pensioners we've got <laughs> i mean I, i'm actually very uh you know as as a sort of white middle class brit i am very much in the minority um right. but i love it because you know it's very cross-cultural. It can get messy. We can misunderstand each other and things, but there, there is that grace that underpins everything. We are brothers and sisters and we belong to each other. And, you know, families fight <laughs> sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> quite loudly. But we, you know, we, we enjoy something deeper than that. We have a unity in Christ. Uh, we belong to each other. And, I mean, I've fed up a lockdown, but normally, you know, we get to eat together, we get to hug each mm -hmm. other, you know, all that stuff that sort of cements the relationship. I think without that, it's very easy to, it's very easy to make things about issues rather than people, isn't it? And to sort of mm -hmm. set yourself up on the other side of a particular issue from another interest group. And then it just becomes mudslinging. And, you know, I, I don't have an awful lot of time for social media and, um, mm. you know, it's very hard to have any sort of sensible discussions with people because yeah. uh, there are lots of people just who seem to enjoy getting offended about, about stuff. And I often just think get in a room with people and, you know, chat, get to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the best ways to, to overcome differences and difficulties, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, yeah. And I think that would, be another way to to tackle it is don't necessarily tackle the sexual ethic head on necessarily mm. obviously we need to be clear about mm. the sexual ethic but it's it's working out uh, as we already have what's the big picture of scripture yeah <laughs> for you know, going to genesis one and and ask the questions like, what, yeah. what does genesis one tell us about humanity what does it tell us about god yeah. what does it tell us about the world what does it tell us about sex and relationships what are we meant for and, and then from there, 
where where does the parallels happen in Revelation and then tie the threads together. Yeah. And you've you've got a family of God that is all nations, all peoples. The promise to Abraham yes. is the nations will be blessed. Um, and by that we're gonna have we're gonna have a very uh, amazing eclectic mix of people <laughs> in new creation. Yeah, um, yeah. How do we, we better, how do we teach we learn to get on now, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, and and, and so uh, in in many ways, the the battle against individualism comes down to how you teach church mm. and the importance of it. And I'm not an expert in that um, by any means, um, but there are people that are tackling that and uh, working out how to teach youth is a, a particular mm. thing. Get them get them talking about these big issues in general. Yeah. I think showing that as adults we can handle these big questions well with unity, modeling that. Yeah. Um, so that, that hopefully that's helped, Patricia. I think there's a, a few ideas there. I, I don't mean to be an expert in it, but I hope that's helped. I really um, liked what you did say, Phil, about, um, you know, not necessarily starting with sexuality. And I think that's really helpful that, you know, it is about Jesus. And actually, mm -hmm. you know, if people aren't Christians or they've not heard the gospel, you know, we're not preaching sexual morality. We're preaching Christ crucified, you know, and yeah. that's the good news. So yeah. um, I, I guess, you know, if I'm kind of out and about and I, you know, meet somebody who's gay and doesn't know Christ, I'm not going to start with sexuality. Um, I'm probably going to start with getting to know their story and, you know, who do they think God is? Are they, you know, all these sorts of questions that you can talk about that, you know, introduce them to Jesus, maybe look at a gospel or something. Yeah. And then maybe get on some more of the contentious stuff later yeah yeah that's it and, and then more and if they the youth so i know I used to teach in secondary schools if they're anything like ah. the youth that are taught <laughs> in secondary schools they'll they'll bring up the big questions as soon as you bring a passage yeah. that's got something i mean genesis <laughs> will bring up all sorts it'll probably bring up science for one but it'll also bring up some of those questions around gender as well is a, yeah. is a big one. They, yeah, yeah they, they all ask the questions, and and I guess exactly. that could help lead you lead your conversation. Um, so just um, trying to see if there's any other. There there are a couple other questions. Um, the program's asked about books. We'll we'll get to books at the end of of the chat. Um, there's there's an interesting one. <sighs> I might come back to that one <laughs> because I think it is a slightly divisive one. Uh, I'll, I'll show it to you so we can kind of process it while we're talking about something else. We, we might come back to this, the programmer. How do you respond to arguments where non-theists and progressive Christians use slavery as a wedge tactic to change the orthodox sexual ethic? Um, and do, you, do you have anything particularly to say to that at the moment or do you want to come back to that? Um, I'll tell you what I will do if I can sneakily point to an article which basically addresses this question um, so well on the brand new living out website which is amazing uh it's livingout.org and there's an article about um if we've changed our mind on slavery why not on homosexuality and i think that will basically answer the question a lot more adequately than i could do awesome. uh, in a few minutes so yeah if you can put a link or something yeah great I'll, I'll do that. They, uh, go to livingout.org. Highly recommend it. They have they have just updated their website. Lots <laughs> of good stuff in there. Um, so we're, we're going to keep going through. I think that's most of the questions at the moment. Um, so uh, please do keep asking. That was a great question there. So um, and nice to see that that's helped uh, Patricia as well. So good stuff. So I, I think one one of the things that um, potentially comes up from this again is. How can you 
the word affirming <laughs> is, is a controversial word in, its, in, in itself. Mm. The, the gospel affirms humans as made in the image of God, made with purpose and uh, importance and uh, to be partners with, with God in creation. How can we affirm someone but deny them this part of themselves? And it might be something that you've touched on already, but again, I think yeah. there's that pushback of you're you're denying my sense of self and, and maybe mm. we can go down the side of identity as well mm. if you how how can you affirm me if you're denying a part of me mm. Mm. um how, how would you re respond to that sort of uh take on this yeah i mean that's that's a big thing that has changed a lot since i became a christian so yeah in 1996 that wouldn't that was an issue that didn't come up because i think mm. I think what seems to have shifted over the last couple of decades is that people's identity is very kind of internally constructed now, isn't it? it, it particularly in these areas, there are certain areas where um, we look inside ourselves to sort of try and find out who we are. And I think sexual hmm. sexual identity is one of those areas where there's been a massive shift. So it used to be, you know, I'm Anne, there's all sorts of things about me, and I, you know... I experience same-sex attraction or I'm attracted to people like this or, you know, or even I do these things, but it's not necessarily integral to who I am. So you can take away the, the practice of those things, um, but you're not taking away the essence of me. Hmm. Um, so I guess it is, it is about how we see ourselves. Um, and I mean, for me, being gay was a very, was a strong identity. Um, but I guess when I became a Christian, something changed. Something changed about my identity. So um, a bit like we were talking earlier, being a, being a daughter of God, being a Christian, being somebody who is loved and known by my Heavenly Father, that became the most important thing about me. Um, and, I mean, it's interesting, um, you know, you, you talked about Ed and you talked about Matthew Vines and the different ways that they label themselves. Um, and you'll probably have heard the phrase celibate gay Christian as well, which is, is used by some people to sort of um, recognise that gay has been an important part of their experience. But also, you know, they're choosing to be celibate because that fits with the sexual ethic that they believe is right. Uh, some people would avoid saying that at all and would say I'm same sex attracted, which just describes the attractions which but doesn't actually accord any uh I, I guess deeper identity to them so it's quite hard to pull it apart because it's so natural <laughs> in our culture now yeah. uh, but you know we we declare something about our identity and that is us and then for somebody else to come and say you know acting this out isn't right seems like it's a personal criticism a personal rejection in fact doesn't it yeah um yeah. whereas i would say that i mean it's easy to talk about about my own experience so the fact that um i don't think it's right to sleep with other women i don't think has robbed me of anything that's integral to who i am um so in fact i feel like i'm a i'm a a fuller richer more rounded person now that i know who i am in christ you know i'm 
unconditionally loved and I'm accepted and I'm forgiven for all the stupid things that I've done. And, mm. you know, I have, I have the promise that, I mean, I love the end of Romans 8, actually, that, you know, nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And it lists all these things, the past, the present, the future, all these, you know, height or depth. You know, it is emphasising the fact that my identity is secure in Christ and I can never be uh, separated from him. And I just find that a wonderful, you know, that is so much richer and deeper than my identity as a gay person. Because actually what happens if you become disabled and you can't have sex or... Mm-hmm. You get older, you can't have sex, or you don't have a partner and you can't have sex. You know, if your identity is so wrapped up in what you do sexually, I, I don't think that's terribly secure yeah. um, or fulfilling, to be honest. Um, but it is it, it is a challenge in our culture because that is something that, you know, people... It's something very strong, isn't it, in, in contemporary ideology? Mm. It's, it's an idol. <laughs> it's, it is. It is an idol, yeah. yeah. And I, I guess it's yeah. probably the, the biggest... Uh, example of an idol we have in our society that we make it if we want an example of what what we worship it, it's that's it what it's what we make it part of ourselves to the extent that we can't even consider giving it up or mm-hmm. being being potentially yeah called to give mm-hmm. it up or or whatever and and that's we not all have sex, them. is it? Yeah, exactly. It could be job, it could be car, yeah. it could be money, it could be family, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, Jesus calls us to leave our natural families and follow him, you know. That's yeah. big. That's yeah. big. We're supposed to love him more than our nuclear families. Um, I think there's a lot of Christians who would be a bit uncomfortable <laughs> hearing that. But Yeah, yeah. that from the front. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think I mentioned it before, that's what I found so refreshing in – sam's book sam albury's book um mm. was just that clar- clarity as you've shared so eloquently just this is this is who i am in christ first mm. not not the sexual identity not my job not my family not my car whatever it is my identity must be so wrapped up in christ that everything else is is second and mm. To, to that and yeah that that's even that's offensive in 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 society to, to say offensive, yeah <laughs> yeah to, to say that i love jesus more than my wife like even in our relationship that, <laughs> like that, that there is a friction there that i can feel myself am i allowed to say that <laughs> uh, and and if i mean it what does that mean mm. how do how do i then surely uh, it should mean that i treat her even better <laughs> like exactly. that, that yeah it should mean that I don't idolize her and and put her in a place where if she fails it let's is yeah <laughs> it doesn't mess up our relationship just because mm. she's done something wrong or I've done something wrong it makes it a lot more healthy um so yeah there's, there's a massive uh, thread there of of idolatry and, and counterfeit gods by Tim Keller is an, another yeah. thing that brings that out really well um, so I, I guess just on that on that note, just to, to summarize it, programmers asked this, how do you cope with the pressure that you're not living your authentic self? <laughs> um, do you have, do you face that pressure now? Is that something that you come like come back to occasionally where you go, actually, is this, is this the right thing? Mm. Um, it, I mean, it's a good, good question. And it, it's a question that does get asked. Oops. Sorry. No uh, um, I think I think it's fair to say that as I've gone on in Christ, things have generally got easier. Um, I think um, in my in my twenties, I spent a lot of time 
finding life quite hard, particularly in this area, because um, as I said before, I, I, I was convinced about what the Bible said, but I wasn't convinced that I, I liked it <laughs> or, you know, that God really had the best for me. Um, so there was a lot of kind of gritted teeth obedience uh, when I was younger and indeed some not obedience as well, disobedience, um, because I just I found, I found it too hard, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I guess as, I, as I've matured in my faith and as I've got to know Jesus better and as I have surrendered other things to him as well um i've just you know i've been able to see that his track record is amazing you know he he his word can be trusted he delivers on his promises um and i mean i should have known that just from reading the bible and from mm. you know looking at the heroes of faith throughout church history um i wish i hadn't had to have made so many mistakes to get to that point um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, my my authentic self is the person that I was created to be, which is, you know, um, a person who is loved by God and is in relationship with him. So, um, yeah, and it's interesting because, I, I mean, I, I don't want to sort of major into this, but I had some kind of gender issues when I was younger and just not really being happy being a woman and, and this kind of thing. And, you know, I didn't, I don't really know how that was going to pan out. But as I've, as I've got older and again, sort of dwelt on God's word and understood what he says about me I've become much much happier and much more comfortable with who I really am um and yeah I mean I, I I'm sure part of it is getting older as well and you know I'm in my 40s now and I'm less bothered about what other people think or you know I think peer pressure can be quite a, a big factor um mm -hmm. when you're younger um and certainly you know there are online pressures aren't there for people and um I think I think I'm just a bit like I know people think I'm weird, but um, I, just, <laughs> we I don't, all are. We I all don't care are. as much. <laughs> we believe someone yeah. rose from the dead. That makes us slightly weird. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think there's a part of all, all of us have to work out what, what that means as an authentic self. I think that is, yeah. I, I do find that an amusing term anyway, but yeah, being authentic, who, who are we in Christ and, and, what does that mean for our our lives? We've got someone who's uh, he thought this was funny. I think that's quite <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't say old. I just said... <laughs> okay, well, I don't know how old that person is. No offense to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little microaggression there. Go yeah. back to that. Um, so uh, we'll get... program is fascinated by your books. He says, "Have you written? Have you read all the books in your library?" I haven't I haven't read them all. Um some of them are reference books, so I sort of get away by, you know, I I've dipped into some of them, but I've read a lot of them and I, I lend I do actually lend them out as well, so it is a proper proper library. library. Yeah, they're all databased, don't worry. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh that Dan, he's missing out. He he would uh, <laughs> yeah, be very happy with that. So uh just just to kind of go from so we've talked about individualism, we've talked about the family, which you've mentioned a little bit about your experience within the church and how positive it is. Um obviously through your true freedom trust interactions and living out uh the org and the roles that you you uh, are involved with with both those organizations. Um I'd just be interested to start talking about this idea of inclusion uh mm. how do we how do we proactively teach that uh, just before we go into the the sort of positive aspects like you've already talked about the positives what what have you seen churches are churches really bad at this that, that seems to be what some people's perception is 
are they? Is that what you're you're hearing? Are are, are people feeling excluded and hated mm. within churches? Is it a more complicated picture than that? What's what's your experience? Yeah, I mean, I'm always a bit reluctant to sort of speak on behalf of an unknown. Yes, <laughs> it is broad. I, I, yeah. know, I haven't I haven't done any um, you know scientific studies and things, so a lot of what I say is anecdotal. But I do go around the country. Um, doing talks about sexuality with churches and I support individuals and stuff. So, you know, I hear a lot of stories. I mean, I'm fortunate that, that my experiences have been largely really positive, but I am aware and that sadly that isn't the case for everybody. And I do, um, I do know of some people who have encountered some really awful um, homophobia from churches. So have, have mm. been not welcomed in uh, and, and um, uh, yeah, even people who've said who've just been honest about well I've come from a gay background I've become a Christian I'd like to join your church and they've been turned away so I mean that that sort of stuff is horrendous and you know is completely inappropriate for for people who claim to love Jesus to behave like that towards anyone um I think generally churches seem to be getting better I think I'm, I'm noticing a real willingness for churches to learn and I think there's I think there is a there is a genuine regret for some of the really homophobic stuff that has happened in the past and sometimes does still happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, church leaders recognise that there's a lot there's a lot we've got wrong um, and there's a genuine kind of desire to learn how to get it right and to um, to listen to people that have a bit of experience of being on the receiving end. So. I mean, I'm encouraged that we run um, training for church leaders at Living Out. And I'm always really encouraged by the people that come and um, they take it, you know, a whole day out to listen to same sex attracted people talking about, you know, culture and the Bible and how church can do things better. And it's it's often quite challenging and, and uh, you know, some things are difficult for them to hear. But uh, I, I do think we're, we're kind of heading in the right direction. Um, I think the harder thing at the moment is actually the divisions that are happening within churches who are you know diverging in their theological perspectives i think that i think that makes life hard for kind of just ordinary people like me who want support um because we often get caught up in an issue rather than um and it becomes very sort of politicized and stuff and, and actually we just want someone to support us and pray with us you know like anybody else would would want in their discipleship so mm. um I slightly forgot what the question was. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's just just what the general, what your general experiences of the church, and I, I think mm. I'd, I'd say the same. That the, from what I can see, which is very limited, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it does seem to be an, a willingness. But then you also do have, yeah, have that pushback that, and and, and I guess what what I'm seeing is social media. So I guess. It'd be uh, interesting it's not balanced at all and it's awful right. and, and i see some bits that are like oh that's really nice and then the comments and you're like oh no this is really not oh. healthy at all um so that's why i was kind of more interested in yeah your experience and, and it's good that living out do that for church leaders and um yeah it's, it's just trying to work out i guess what what would then maybe just a short summary of what would what have you seen in those church leaders sessions that are the priorities for churches to take mm. on board as they engage in this conversation mm. well i'm going to do another shameless bit of promotion but there's a free resource yeah, on the living out website <laughs> uh, basically there's a 10 point church audit 
and it's designed for church leaders to go through together. And it's basically just questions that you can ask yourself as a church um, to see how biblically inclusive you are and actually see if there are areas that you need to work on. Um, so there are things like, um, you know, when you teach about sexuality, do you teach about um, sexual brokenness that everybody experiences or do you sort of single out homosexuality as a worse sin, for instance? Um, is there any derogatory language or stereotyping? Um, I mean, that that can be a big thing. People can people can really hurt you or make you just feel invisible um, just by a, a sort of careless use of, of language, um, sort of making it seem like, oh, the gay people are out there. They're not sitting here in the pews um, or, or in a seat. So, again, it's just, I think, having that awareness that there may well be people who are same-sex attracted in your church. And if there aren't, then they should be, you know, they should be really welcome to come in. So, you, you know, you need to make sure that all your messaging is filtered through that point of view. So don't always be using um, marriage and children as your sermon examples, mm -hmm. for instance, because, and this is, a lot of this applies to people who are single as well. You know, we were talking earlier a bit about how um, singleness is, is often kind of devalued and marginalised in favour of marriage. And, um yeah, it's just sometimes it's these little ways that that people who are single or same sex attracted think this church isn't for me. They're not. They don't even know I exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think um, again we've touched on this a bit, but the radical discipleship, so that we're all being called to take up our cross and follow Jesus, and that will look different for for different people. But the fact is that the cost of discipleship is everything, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, for for all of us. So. Um, I, I think kind of, yeah, challenging some of the, the things that are quite prevalent in church, like consumerism, for instance, you know, uh, so we don't just major on sexual sins, but uh, we actually recognise that, that all of us have idols in our lives that, that we need to be challenged on. Um, for me, I think the single most helpful thing in church is a sense of community, a sense that we belong to each other, that we're family. Uh, we're not just colleagues who turn up to meetings and then go away and do do real life somewhere else um so i mean i am involved in the leadership at my church but we we really work hard on just trying to spend time together and do ordinary things together you know so if you're going shopping take someone shopping with you you know i'm, I'm talking about an after lockdown yeah, after COVID. Yeah, oh. do, that, do that do that safely yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's so frustrating because i think a lot of the th things that bring depth and richness to our christian community life we can't do at the moment um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, just kind of spending time together without agendas. So we used to do this thing called the Big Night Inn, where we just literally turn up at church with whatever we would have been doing in our home by ourselves. Just turn up and do it together, you know. So if you've, if you've got some work to do on your laptop, just turn up with that. Or if you've got some knitting, turn up with that. Or if you've got a game you'd like to play with somebody, you know. So it's it's the That's sense amazing. that... I really like that. What yeah. Just kind of sharing life rather than, you know, having meetings every so often to report in. Do you see that's quite a difference there? And um, yeah, so trying to be trying to be more like family, being involved in each other's lives. You know, um, I've got friends who share a dog. <laughs> they both <laughs> they both live on their own and they wanted a pet but couldn't commit to having one full time. So they just share a dog, which is great. Amazing. Um, well, yeah, why not? Um, I love the passage in Acts 2 where it talked about... Um, you know the the early church meeting together every day and sharing possessions and things and um 
you know, I, I don't think we necessarily all need to live in a big commune, but I do think that sharing life on a deep level that, where it matters um, is really important, you know, especially for single people like me or people who live on their own. You know, we need to get healthy intimacy. We need to get hugs again not yeah. at the moment but <laughs> one day one day it'll happen won't it yeah. um yeah um so i i think that's that sort of stuff's really helpful um yeah. i think again um we talked about identity and i think you know affirming one another in our christ uh, christ-like identity i think that's really important um i think another thing that i found helpful from churches is a distinction between um so same-sex attraction and same-sex um, practice. So uh, I don't think that we can promise people um, a change in orientation or anything. And actually, I don't think we need to even um, desire necessarily desire that. I think that that healing um, and becoming more like Christ involves being holy in whatever position He's He's put us in. So whether that's singleness, being um, uh celibate not sexually active or whether that's you know being sexually active in a in a marriage those are both equally wonderful callings um and we need to honor those and help you know help one another live in those and i mean certainly for me you know i i haven't become heterosexual and i don't think that that's you know i, I don't think that that's ne necessary what i have become is you know single and celibate and focused on jesus and trying to live like him and you know failing miserably but living in his in his forgiveness and grace so Amen. um yeah and of course we we also can point each other to that amazing time that we know we're, we're heading for in revelation where you know we, we won't be struggling with any temptations or any any sinful feelings because we will be made completely whole so it's quite good to just uh, point each other to that horizon as well and remember where it's all heading. Amen. Amen. This, <laughs> that, that, and it's got to come back to that. It's got mm. to come back for everything, everything that we wrestle with. And I think that will come back next week when we talk about Christianity and gender, mm. that whatever it is we're wrestling with, there is something, <laughs> there is something hopeful within Christianity that is better than what you're struggling with. Absolutely. And it's that hope that you can press through the valley of well, the shadow of death or whatever it is, the shadow of whatever idol um, <laughs> or whatever it is that you're wrestling with, that, that we can we walk with Christ together. And, yeah, there's just so much in there. I, um, Pip, uh, there's a comment on Facebook from Pip. Uh, Alton just mentioned that she loves the big night in. Uh, I think that's such an amazing idea. Come along. <laughs> You're all uh, welcome when it's back up and running. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I, th there is something about radical hospitality that is the embodiment of the Christian war, where you can have, mm -hmm. and I think it's something that, at least in England, we're not necessarily very good at, is we quite like to close the door and make sure no one else yeah. comes in. But it's it's having that opportunity to... Yeah, just share life, yeah. and and how how as churches we push against that cultural aspect yeah. of uh, the home is my castle. <laughs> just... Well, again, you know, we have so much to learn from Christians from other cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, the I think the only reason that our church is reasonably good at it is because we've got so many non-Brits in the yeah. church. Because yeah, us British myself. people are useless. So yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I mean. 
I've had to be really challenged that, you know, I've got to, you know, I've got to be open to people just knocking on my door whenever. And, you know, I've got to kind of be prepared for long evenings with lots of food and, you know, like just mm-hmm. kind of, I can't rush away when it sort of fits my little schedule because it's just people do life differently. And I'm really enjoying learning that. Um, yeah. I just, uh, I, I remember going for a, um, a, pic- a church picnic um, and there were loads of lots of big group of the Iranians. And then there was me and there was um, an American girl um, and a few, a few other people. <laughs> And me and me and her both had our individual sandwiches, and we were um, we were just kind of like nibbling them by ourselves. <laughs> and the Iranians, of course, have brought massive, you know, uh, massive vats of food. <laughs> there was there was a guy who'd been up at three o'clock in the morning cooking everybody a massive um, uh, a massive portion of um, korma sabzi, and then they made this. They have this amazing potato salad thing, and just. It was a banquet, and of course, it's all shared. And I thought, yeah. mm, that's that's challenged me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right so there good. is you know is an illustration of how we as Christians have a have a lot to learn from cultures that are more just know how to do community better. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, collective, and 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 their sense of identity is very different. And, it and is, how they find it is, that. and yeah, um, strength strengths negatives in that sense as well but i guess yeah. that's for a whole nother conversation is yeah. delving into the different cultural aspects of identity yeah uh, which I'm, I'm loving learning about as well both from from my background growing up overseas but also in uh in my job with friends international just loads of good fun yeah. uh hearing other people's stories and how they do community um I, I, we're hitting the sort of getting close to the one and a half hours i realized i didn't actually ask how, how long you've got um <laughs> well, i'm not going anywhere am i <laughs> yeah well that's it yeah we're, we're locked in yeah um so, so there's, there's one more question that's, that's interesting here in the in the live chat which i think kind of follows the i, I find it there's there's a question here i'm quite, quite happy to answer this as well um do you think there's a bright future for the christian who holds the traditional sex ethic uh sexual ethic especially in a culture that is becoming hostile to christian living I mean, what, what's your perspective uh, on, that, on that? Well, I mean, the uh, I think there is a bright future because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that that's what the Bible says. And I think if you kind of follow the Bible, you can't go far wrong. So. <laughs> um, but I get what the question is uh, getting at, that, you know, our, our culture is moving very quickly. Um, and it, it's, it's obvious that even over the last couple of years, it has become very sharply hostile to the Christian, the sort of traditional Christian sexual ethic, to the extent that, you know, a lot of Christians have found that they don't want to sort of risk losing their jobs and that kind of thing. So a lot of people have have sort of stayed silent. Um, Yeah, I mean, if I'm totally honest, I, I could see a point in my lifetime where I might even have to go to prison. But, you know, there are a lot of much better Christians than me who ended up in prison for their faith. So I'd be in good company. Listen, I hope, you know, we are, we're a liberal Western society. I hope that freedom of speech and freedom of conscience and freedom of religion remain values that we're committed to. Um, But I do see some worrying signs um, that we are heading to, heading to a a state where what people say and what people think even is, is policed. So um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I also know that, you know, 
the, the church can't be squashed and it often thrives with a bit of persecution to be honest i mean look at the church in in china in fact in iran you know people are becoming uh, believers in spite of very hostile circumstances so um i i don't think um yeah i i, I don't think that um we need to be i don't think we need to be worried um in the, in the sense that we get crushed um i always love that i love that passage in uh, uh I'm going to forget the reference now, but uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that it's all surpassing powers from God, not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Uh, we're struck down, but not um, destroyed. And I really hold on to that because, you know, I think compared to lots of people around the world, we have it easy. We aren't persecuted, I don't think, mm -hmm. but we are, we are getting marginalized. We are, you know, we are, finding ourselves on the wrong side of um the sort of cultural norms and i think that's going to become more extreme so we may have to prepare ourselves for um yeah for, for people willfully misunderstanding us and misquoting us and or just saying that we can't believe or speak about you know speak about what we believe which i'd be really upset if that happened but i wouldn't be crushed because um yeah, my hope is in Christ. Amen. Yeah, this is definitely the the sort of thing that I'd go towards. That we have a lot in Scripture that says that we we shouldn't hope for the comfort in this life. And yeah, be, just uh, passing through. Yeah, we are just passing through. And I, just again, I, I reference it a lot because I'm a bit of a fanboy of them. Bible projects, uh, Way of Exile. If you uh, mm. Google that, they've got just a great way that we. We do. Uh, so there's two sort of aspects of this that I'm seeing in culture, Christian culture particularly, is yes, we may face persecution and we may face trials, but there's also a way of grace in that that doesn't draw it <laughs> and then say yeah. we're persecuted. <laughs> so yeah. how we treat the people yeah. that persecute us or undermine our values that we've come to identify as Christian mm. Um and the, the idea that freedom of speech is a, a Christian value. Well, maybe, but how do we treat people who say things that go against the Christian ethic? Are, yeah. are we fighting so hard against culture that we forget grace yeah. and that we forget Christ and are starting to present our values as, mm. as Christian rather than Christ as Christian. Yeah. And uh, I think there's, there's a big difference in that. And so I'm seeing some Christians who I, I want to shout them down. <laughs> say, say, stop, stop it. I'm not persecuting you. Yeah. Just, you just need to stop talking now. You're, you're not, yeah. you're not portraying Christ in a way that yeah. I think Christ would. And, yeah. and generally in that sense, the pushback from their view would be, well, Christ flipped over ta tables and whipped people. Yeah. And like, that's that's not the Sermon on the Mount that I see. <laughs> that's for a time uh, and place. I think, but, um, I think sometimes we, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, I, you know, we are, we, we must treat people um, lovingly and listen to them carefully and also not use this double standard. Yeah, free speech for me, but if somebody says anything I don't like, then I'm going to crush them. <laughs> um, yes. yeah. I, I also think you're right that sometimes people go, I'm being persecuted, that must mean I'm holy, but not necessarily you might be being persecuted because you're an idiot and you've said something yes. really <laughs> horrible. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, we shouldn't, um, I think we can be, we can expect persecution because, you know, Jesus says that, but 
uh, we shouldn't sort of go out looking for it by being nasty to people and you know it, that's yeah that makes me sad when mm-hmm. christians put people off the church because of the way they treat other people i just think you know and we're all guilty of that sometimes but yeah let's let's uh, exhibit the the real self-sacrificial love and grace that jesus does amen so we generally close these things off i think an hour and a half is uh is a good enough, good length to, to aim for um would love to have you on again and it's been really good chatting the, the final question that sometimes takes a long time to answer <laughs> in itself is uh what are your top resources or books um that, or we've, we've had recommendations on music and uh, wow. or podcasts what what resources would you um share and just mm. a, a nice little comment from a program there thanks thanks for that uh, oh, thank you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's been great to chat uh, about that and hear it. Um, what what books, resources, podcasts, whatever, uh, as many as you like. Gosh. For, <laughs> <laughs> in, in priority order, no pressure. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the wonderful thing is that that now there are um, books and resources and websites. Whereas, you know, when mm. I first became a Christian, I mean, True Freedom Trust was it, and I was so grateful for them. So I, I probably ought to do a shout out to True Freedom Trust, which is it is just truefreedomtrust.co.uk. Um, obviously, the Living Out website. Um, there's a guy in the states with the fantastic name of Preston Sprinkle. And he has a, a website called centerforfaith.com. That's center spelt the uh, US way. Um, and that's got some really, really helpful stuff on sexuality and gender. Um, he's got some pastoral papers, which are, are well worth reading. So I definitely recommend that. And he's also written a, a couple of books, um, both on sexuality and also on gender as well. So uh, he's really good. I feel like I need to mention Ed Shaw um, as he is my... Um, uh, my sort of uh, uh, co-worker, co-colleague <laughs> at uh, Living Out. Um, he's just written a book, uh, which is literally hot off the press. It's called Purposeful Sexuality. Um, and it's brilliant because it's really short, so you can read it in a couple of hours. And it basically does this overview. So some of the things that we've been talking about tonight, about um, kind of zoom out from the specific mentions of sexual immorality and look at you know, the bigger picture of what is sexuality for, that's really, really helpful. So that's Purposeful Sexuality by Ed Shaw. He's written another one, which is great, called The Plausibility Problem. Um, and that is particularly good on how, as churches, can we make um, living a celibate lifestyle plausible for same-sex attracted Christians? Uh, so that's a great one. I think Glyn Harrison, A Better Story, is brilliant at... Um, showing us some of the kind of how we've landed here in culture um so he does re- some really good cultural analysis um to look at um yeah some of the steps that we've taken ideologically um to land where we are now and then he's you know he, he sort of tells a biblical story into that context so that's really helpful um there's a book by a lady called rachel gilson um american lady um called born again this way um, which is excellent. She's very articulate, very clever lady, and she tells her story of experiencing same-sex attraction, um, becoming a Christian from a non-Christian background. Um, really, really interesting, and some really um, great biblical insights as well. Um, 
I think another American lady who has a very, very interesting testimony is uh, a lady with the name of uh, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Mm. And uh, she's written a book called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Um, and it's fascinating. Uh, so she was a, um, a lesbian academic living with her partner um not at all kind of open to the Christian message, really. Um, and she, she describes her conversion as a train wreck. Um, so it's it's a very, very interesting uh, account. And, and again, you know, very, very intelligent lady, um, really good biblical depth. So those are just some of them. But actually, there are lots of great resources out, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, on, on the Living Out website, there were some book reviews for, for other books. Um, so, yeah, go crazy. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Uh, there's a couple on there that I haven't quite dug into yet, but um, Rosario Butterfields, I read The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Mm. Do you um, know, I haven't read that yet, but I absolutely need to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I, I It's for a very American context. I think it's quite contextualised yeah. to her. So I was trying to map how does this work in... Uh, <laughs> Guildford particularly but like right. uh, but just that challenge of radical hospitality was was needed and is yeah. needed so I highly recommend um uh, that as well and and her story is fascinating of how it was pretty much hospitality that that won her yeah won, won her around and I mean we shouldn't be surprised by that it's about relationship isn't it the mm -hmm. Christian life is about relationship with God and relationship with other people so yeah. if we see people loving us and loving each other that is that's very winsome yeah absolutely yeah cool well th thanks for all those resources I, I just have to mention that um i i've saw this comment and uh the programmer you have you have if you haven't heard of bible project <laughs> it's amazing I, 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 yeah i have said i'm a fanboy so i, I don't want to over bring it up but it, it has changed my world <laughs> <laughs> wow um, and and there's what's great is they have they have everything from just really beautifully made theme videos that are just so artistically done they're about five or six minutes to then podcast which is chatting through those theme videos but they've also got seminary seminary level uh classes on their website now for free which you can go through and uh some really good good stuff i haven't done the seminary level ones yet but mm -hmm. i've heard good things about them so do that and um yes thank you for joining us and and thank you and for the lots of things to, to chew on and uh, a wonderful conversation. And it's been great to hear your story and also find there's a connection going back to uh, when I was at school yeah. <laughs> that we share. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you to the, the people watching for some brilliant questions as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So on, on that, I'll just uh, close things up, but um, thank you all for joining us just to let you know, as I said uh, earlier, we've got, we're, we're talking about some, some big issues over the, the next couple of weeks. So we've got this uh, with talking sexuality, but next week is talking about gender with uh, a guy named Andrew Bunt, who I think you'll find some of his stuff on uh, the livingout.org uh, website as well. Um, and uh yeah join us on, on thursdays hopefully dan will be back and uh joining in with a full full health as well and yeah uh join us if you want to see this channel grow it will just support some of the costs that we have to host the website and any of that then we are on patreon as well but we do this for fun we enjoy the chats and hopefully you're blessed by them as well 
So thanks again to Anne and thank you all for joining in. Uh, have a good rest of your day, evening, whatever it is. <laughs> bye bye. Are you not Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.